Good morning. Good morning. As you saw on the board earlier, I've entitled this morning's message, Knowing God's Heart, the Sacrifice of Isaac. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the circumstances surrounding the sacrifice of Isaac. This action was really a prophetic act that depicts the amazing heart of God and the amazing love of God. But not only that, God's amazing faithfulness in fulfilling his promises. My hope is that when you leave here today, you will be encouraged to believe our Heavenly Father's promises to you, even when it looks like that promise is impossible. Maybe it looks like that promise was even put to death at some point. A dream, a promise, a hope, and you thought, it has died. I've got good news. Our God is in the life-raising business, isn't he? Amen. So who is this Abraham? I mean, most of us probably know, but, but who is he? Well, he is actually God's choice to begin a new thing, a new nation. He is called the father of our faith. He becomes the father of a nation of people called the Hebrews. And in Exodus 9:5, God says, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a special peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Scholars refer to Abraham like a second Adam. When God starts something new, he needs a man to do it through. In the beginning, God started with Adam and Eve. That didn't work out so well. <laughs> Adam fell, and mankind fell with him. And as time progressed, the whole world became corrupted with sin. And God says, got to start a new thing. And he had yet another Adam, Noah. And so he started again. He claimed the slate, so to speak. He had reserved for himself eight people that he could start this new work through, if you will. Well, what happens is <laughs> the sin is still in the world because Noah is still a fallen man. And God needs to be able to bring the deliverer of all mankind through humanity. In order to do that, he has to have somebody who is going to be pure, sin-wise, not in the way of sinless, that's the Christ, but he has to have a people who is separated unto him so that he can keep them, the lineage pure and holy, if you will, set apart unto God. That's all that holy means. Set apart unto God until he can get the Messiah here. And so he says, all right, Abraham, we're going to start a new thing. You're the new Adam for me. You're the new beginning for me. And we're going to do a new thing that hasn't been done before. In um, Genesis 27, God actually calls Abraham a prophet. Now, most of the time, we don't think of Abraham as a prophet, but he was. A prophet is somebody who sees God, who hears God, and who does what God tells them to do. We call that often a prophetic act. The Lord told Ezekiel, because of the sin of Israel, I want you to lay on your side for 390 days as a prophetic act displaying that you are bearing their sin. And when you're done with that, I want you to lay on the other side for 40 days depicting that you're bearing the sin of Judah. So God was always trying to communicate. And that's what prophetic action is. It's a communication. Uh, it was a way for God to hopefully make a word picture that people could grasp. And that's what he says Abraham is. When he says that Abraham is a prophet, he doesn't actually in scripture tell Abraham that. He tells another king that. 
Abraham sort of got himself into a couple of hard spots. Because Sarah was so beautiful, even though she was old, she was like 90 when she, when she conceived. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, and these kings will say, this is a beautiful woman. Well, this is astounding. I, you know, 90 years old, and kings go, yes, I want you in my harem. <laughs> well, because Abraham was also a very wealthy man, he said, whenever we travel through these, these other lands where there are kings, tell everybody, you're my sister. That way they won't kill me to get you and all my loot. <laughs> so that's what happens is they end up telling, and not only once but twice this happens. They tell people, she's my sister. You don't have to kill me to get her. She's just not interested in you. <laughs> and so what happens is this king puts Sarah in his harem, and suddenly a plague erupts in this king's household. You see, Unbeknownst to the king, Abraham had a covenant. And God says, whoever blesses you, I will bless. And whoever curses you, I will curse. So now God has an obligation with Abraham. Even though Abraham got himself into this, <laughs> God says, I made a covenant. Anyone touches you, they're touching what belongs to me. And I will make this right. So this plague erupts. And the king has a dream. And in the dream, the Lord talks to him. And the king is fully aware of who he's talking to. Amazing. <laughs> God says, this, you have another man's wife, and you are a dead man. And he's like, whoa, wait, I didn't know. They told me she was his sister. And God says, give her back, or you're dead. Plain and simple. He's like, fine, I'll give her back. <laughs> Not a problem. So he calls for Abraham, and he says, why did you do this to me? In fact, the word there says, why did you ambush me? You set me up to be cursed. What's wrong with you? And he's like, no, no, she technically is my half-sister. <laughs> and he's like, here, take all this stuff. And he gives him all kinds of money and livestock as compensation for having taken her, even though nothing had happened. He says, I want everyone to know that you have been absolved of any misdoing. I want everyone to know you are blessed. There's, there's no misconduct here. And so he sends them out wealthier than when they got there. See, but God told this king, Abraham is a prophet. And when you give back his wife, he will pray for you. And when he prays for you, I will restore. And, so, and that's exactly what happens. So God himself says, Abraham is a prophet. That's important. I never really thought about the story of Abraham this way until the Lord brought it to my attention. Because Abraham, what we're going to see in the sacrifice of Isaac, even though I knew it was a type and shadow, it was more than that. It was a prophetic declaration of what would be. Now, if you read the story of Abraham, what you see is God visits him regularly. You know, he shows up for dinner. <laughs> he and, and two other angels, he's aware that this is God visiting him in, in a fleshly form. Most scholars believe it's a, an epiphany. It is Christ in the flesh all those years before. It is God showing up. And he does it regularly with Abraham. It's really quite amazing. It keeps saying the word of the Lord came to Abraham. And yet we see Abraham making terrible decisions. <laughs> <laughs> He's more like us than we would like to admit. 
What you don't see in all these conversations he has with God is love. You see covenant. Now that's important. But you don't see that he understands who God really is. Now he knows God is all powerful. He knows God shows up and takes care of him. He knows he's a God of covenant and Abraham understands covenant. Covenant was very common in that day. So he understood what he had with God is God had his back no matter what. What he didn't understand was God's heart. To know stuff that there's no way for you to know. And one of those things is, I want you to know who I am in my heart. So there begins the story. In chapter 22, starting with verse 1, it says this, And now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. I like it in the King James. It says, Behold, me. <laughs> that tickles me. I just like that. <laughs> now this word tested, and a lot of people, when they think about this story, they question this word tested. What does it mean that God would test somebody? You see, and even in James, it talks about how that when our faith is tested. Now, he's not saying tempted. Because of what we know he's going to do, lots of people think he's being tempted to do something that's evil, and he's not. The word test simply means to prove. It's the same word God says in Malachi, where he says, Bring ye the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me, test me. Now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out to you a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. As New Covenant believers, we are not under the law of tithing. If we do not tithe, we are not cursed. That's Old Covenant. Now, does God teach us to give? Yes. Years ago, when I first came to the knowledge of Christ as a, a young mother, I couldn't wait to give. Unfortunately, I didn't have anything. <laughs> it's like, I would love to give you, if I, don't, I got nothing, God, nothing here. I don't have a job, I'm not working. But he taught me the principle of giving through tithing. I think sometimes Christians who, when God speaks to them about giving, they misunderstand. Because the message of tithing is often preached as a law, taught as a law, you must do this or you're cursed. Well, that was the Israelites. That's not us under the new covenant. But when God taught me tithing, he said, this is about trusting me. This is about trusting me to take care of you. This is not about you buying <laughs> my provision. So often I hear Christians say, I know God will take care of me, I'm tithing. And I just cringe <laughs> because they're not trusting in him and his goodness and his heart for them, they're trusting in the fact that they've done something. It's really easy to do. Well, God, I tithe. You should bring this into my life. God, I tithe. You owe me something. Totally wrong. It was wrong then, <laughs> and it's wrong now. Because even then, God wanted their hearts. He told them in Malachi, I don't want all your sacrifices. I want your heart. I want you to know me. I want you to know I love you. This was his thing. He says, test me. See, see that I'm good. Come on, come on. I dare you. Let me show you how good I am. I will open the windows of heaven. Give me an opportunity. He was looking for an opportunity to bless and to show how much he loved and cared for them. This is the kind of test 
that he had for Abraham. Abraham, let me show you how good I am, because as good as you think I am, I'm even better. You see, he was going to learn something he could not learn any other way. God only tests us to show us how good he is. And he says, go ahead, you can do it. Step out and trust me. And you'll find I'll never fail you. I'm that good. God tested Abraham. And he said in verse 2, then he said, now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall tell you. I'm reading the New King James, in case you're wondering. <laughs> if you look at this particular scripture in the Hebrew, if you go to like Esword or Blue Letter Bible and you look up all the words, you'll find there are a lot more words in there that are not actually translated. What the translators do is they try to give you the most exact interpretation. Sometimes it's word for word, sometimes it's thought for thought, and sometimes it's a combination of the two. So when there are words that they think are redundant, that are not necessary for the correct interpretation, they will leave them out. Because in English, we don't talk this way. If we put this verse into the way in English, the way it actually is in the Hebrew, it would say this. He said, take now even your son, even your only son, even Isaac, whom you love. You see, <laughs> the, when you use the word even, you're drawing emphasis. He's drawing pictures, really, for Abraham. He's saying, I'm not asking for goats. I'm not asking for sheep. I'm not even asking for slaves and servants. I'm not asking for silver and gold. Abraham had all of that. But God said, take even your son, your only son. Now, if you know anything about Abraham, he didn't only have one son. He had two. That was part of the situations that Abraham got himself into. <laughs> because God, part of his covenant with God was that God said, you will have a son. And through that son, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. This was the beginning of the plan of salvation. So when Sarah didn't conceive within what they thought would be a normal amount of time, they decided, well, we'll just help God out with this promise, you know? It was very common in that day and age for women who were barren to have slaves or servants, and they would just give their handmaiden to their husband as a secondary wife, a concubine. And so that's where Ishmael came from. God still blessed Ishmael, the same as he blessed Isaac. But the son of a slave woman could not inherit. You see, even though Ishmael was a son, he was the son of a slave woman. So he was not a legal heir. He would never inherit. And he was not the son of the promise. That's two strikes. <laughs> and then when Ishmael started harassing the son of promise, Isaac, Sarah said, the woman, this woman and her son have got to go. They're not going to be part of the covenant. They're not going to inherit, and they need to be gone. And God said to Abraham, listen to your wife, Sarah. Do what she says. She's right. You see, <laughs> when we do things that we shouldn't do, <laughs> there's always going to be a consequence. And that consequence was he had to put out his son and his secondary wife because God had a plan through the promised child of Isaac. So here Abraham has already experienced the loss of one son. They say 
this was, he was probably 18-ish. He was a young man when Abraham had to put him out <laughs> with Hagar. But for all of those years, this is his son. He understands the sorrow of, of losing a child. And what God starts to do in verse 22, he starts to poke Abraham's heart. He says, even your son, even your only son, the only son you have left, even this one, poking that fatherly love. You see, that's really what God's trying to get at. He wants Abraham to know he too is a father. But how do you express that unless you've been there? Someone who's not lost a child or not lost someone to death tried to explain that to somebody who's never experienced it. There's no association that can quite do that. Several years ago, <laughs> we experienced as a family the loss of a child, not through death. It was kind of like this. My daughter was fostering to adopt. And we got a little baby boy at four days old, and we nicknamed him Bug. And he's adorable. Oh my gosh, so cute. And he was a little monster when he got a little older. Bugzilla. We, you know, <laughs> he was awesome. <laughs> and we had promises. And we had promises from God that she was going to have children. She was going to have a child that was born to her, a son that was given. Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. That was the promise. Well, they had, she had two little boys at the time. We're like, yes, unto us a child is born. He came right from the hospital. There's our promise. We didn't know he was Ishmael. <laughs> and so we loved him with all of our heart. And he was a foster child, but because his, his parents were incarcerated, there was no visits. There was none of that. Social workers had assured us, this is a 100% guaranteed deal. This is your baby. And then suddenly out of the blue, they say, he's going home for a visit. And I, Lord, what do we do? What do we do about this, Lord? And God said, pray, fast, fight for him. And so we began the fight. This is ours. We have a promise. We declare this is the property of the Most High God. He is the Lord's. We even dedicated him on Christmas Eve. This baby belongs to Jesus Christ. He is ours. We claim him in the name of Jesus. He is given to us from the Lord. We stomped and we snorted and we stood. <laughs> And we believed. But you know what God never said to me exactly? He never said, this is the one. This is the child of promise. He just said, pray for him like he is. Stand for him like he's yours. And then he went home for a visit. And while he was there, there was a court date. And the court decided that this baby would not return home. The day we found out, my daughter found out, and she left a message on my phone, my answering machine. And the Lord told me to go on a fast for this miracle. We were believing for a miracle. The funny thing was is that the days he told me to fast were not ended when we found out. And I said, Lord, I must have misunderstood how long you told me to do this. He goes, no, you didn't. 
but Lord, he's, he's not coming home. No, you didn't mishear me. You keep fasting. Okay. <laughs> then God is up to something. So when I found out that he wasn't coming home, I had no words. Just silence. Just sorrow. And I said, Lord, I don't understand. He said, just keep doing what I told you to do. Just keep believing that I'm in this somehow, some way. I bring that up because this is the place Abraham is at. He knows what it's like to have a child be sent away. He knows what it's like to have such sorrow that you have no words. You can't even vocally cry. You just leak. <laughs> this is the, the pain that he knew. And then God provokes him and says, give me your only son that's left. Even this son. When you read the dialogue, there is no conversation. Just silence. You don't see Abraham arguing. I think I would have been arguing. I think I would have been stomping and snorting and crying and, and having to fit on the floor. <laughs> but not Abraham, because God had instilled in Abraham, I am a God of promise. Whatever I promise, I will do. It tells us in Hebrews, after the fact, so to speak, <laughs> that Abraham said, even if he has to raise him from the dead, I know he's going to do it because he promised this is the child of promise. This is the one the Messiah will come through. This is the way salvation is coming to mankind. He's poking Abraham because I think he really wants to stir up his father's heart because he doesn't know it, but he's about to prophetically step into God's shoes. He's about to demonstrate to all of creation the plan of salvation. Abraham had no clue at that time what was going on, but I believe the Lord showed him eventually that that's exactly what he got to do. He got to step into the shoes of God for just a few moments. So he says, Take him to the land of Moriah. The word Moriah means Jehovah has seen. Jehovah has seen. And now one of the scholars says they call it the land of God's vision because this is the mountain. This is the mountain that thousands of years later on a cross, the Son of God would die. The same mountain. And so he, even Jesus said that Abraham longed to see my day and he saw it. When did he see it? He saw it this day. And he says, give him there as a burnt offering. A burnt offering, if you look at it in the Greek version, it says whole offering. That's what a burnt offering was. You see, he couldn't just give a finger. <laughs> okay, God will give you his finger, okay? How about a toe? Something, how about an appendix? Something he doesn't really need. <laughs> but no. You see, he wants Abraham, the father's heart, to say an entire sacrifice. 
a complete sacrifice, a whole sacrifice, everything. And Abraham does. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took the two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. One of the things that I think is very interesting is that when you do look at the Hebrew words here, the word for wood is the word tree, literally. Now we understood that wood comes from trees. <laughs> but the word is actually tree. And so he says, he split the tree for the burnt offering. And it goes on. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. It's no coincidence that he says this is the third day. You see, as far as Abraham was concerned, the sorrow and the silence started this day that God said, give me your son. It was that same day that Abraham made the decision. He wasn't wavering. He had three days to think about this. You think he was like, really, any other way we can do this, God? Didn't that, isn't that what Jesus prayed? If there's any other way to do this, surely that must have been in Abraham's heart. But we see nothing. He says nothing. Silence. I think it's because that's when the sorrow set in. And as far as Abraham was concerned, the day he said yes to God was the day his son was truly sacrificed. It was done in his heart. And so he went forward knowing that he was going to lay his son on an altar. So this is the third day. So Abraham said to his young men, you stay here with the donkey and the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. This is faith. This is faith. He says, we are coming back. Now, a burnt offering, a burnt offering was a lamb that you started by cutting its throat. It was the most humane way to kill a lamb, painless. But then you cut it up in the quarters, and then you put it on the altar, and then you set it on fire. And that's a picture. Abraham knew that's what he was going to do that day. It was a done deal in his heart. But he says, I know my God. I know in whom I have believed, and he is faithful. And I don't care what my promise looks like. My God is faithful. We are coming back. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac. You can very easily and correctly translate it. And Abraham took the tree of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. It tells us in John that they laid the cross on Christ and he carried the tree. Three different times in, in the New Testament, the cross is referred to as the tree. Well, you see, God is painting a picture that Abraham can see what God sees. That Abraham can understand what he's really a part of. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. The regular King James and some other translations say it in a way I like better. God will provide himself. 
a lamb. God will provide himself a lamb. What's really interesting is that rabbis believe from the oral traditions that what Abraham actually said to his son, my son, you are the lamb. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went up together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. What's interesting is, first of all, we see that Isaac is in total agreement. Depending on which scholars you want to listen to, they say he's between 25 and 35. Oddly enough, Jewish scholars think he was 33. <laughs> that makes Abraham 133. I think Isaac could have taken him. <laughs> you, don't, you see no rebellion here. You see a father and son in perfect agreement. He allows his father to bind him and lay him on the altar. What's interesting is that when you look at the Hebrew words, it means to place on the tree towards the top. You see, God loves to paint pictures. God wants us to know if we're willing to look, we're going to find him. <laughs> he was showing Abraham even then, somewhere in, you, in the future, there's going to be someone, Father God, who's going to take his son and lay him on a tree towards the top. And he's going to be an entire and complete sacrifice. And he wants Abraham to know what that feels like. Why? Because he wants Abraham to know him. Not just as a God far away, or a God who knows everything, or a God who's a king, a God who's, who's outside somewhere far away. He says, I want you to know me and my love and how much I love you. The first time the word love appears in the Bible is here, in this passage. When God says, take your son, your only son, whom thou lovest. The law first mentioned says, it has precedence. The first time we see God saying the word love, it has to do with the father's love for his son. It was familial love. It wasn't a general, I kind of like you love. <laughs> it was familial love. It was father love. He says, this I want you to know and understand. Abraham understood his own heart as a father. And God says, I want you to understand my heart as a father. Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Now picture that. He's waited three days. Three days. His son is in complete and perfect agreement with him. He's laid on the altar. He's probably turned his face away. He has the knife. He's probably crying, sweating, his heart probably beating out of his chest. He doesn't want to do this with all that's in him, but he knows God promised. And as he starts to cut his throat, suddenly, suddenly, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. <laughs> what can I do for you? <laughs> he says, do not lay your hand 
on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. How happy do you think his heart was? How ecstatic do you think he was? You see, God counted what he had done as perfect obedience. It was a done deal in his heart. You have prophetically acted out what is going to happen. But there's more. You see, even though Abraham represents God in this picture, and Isaac represents Christ, he also represents mankind. And we cannot die for our own sins. It's worthless. It would be worthless. We cannot atone for our own sins with our own life. Then it goes on to say, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. In acting out prophetically this story, there has to be a substitute. There has to be a substitute. And God himself provided a substitute. He provided the ram caught in the thicket. Another picture of Christ, the lamb with the thorns upon his head. But what God began to speak to me in this picture of Abraham being interrupted, and I, I began to see how happy, how happy Abraham must have been. Thank you, God, for not making me do this. Thank you, God, for sparing my son. Thank you, Father. Oh, I'm so thrilled. <laughs> and what the scripture that came to my mind was in Isaiah, where it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Have you ever wondered why that was? Because the joy was the same that Abraham had that day. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for sparing my son. Who was the son at that moment? It was us. He represented me. He represented you. Yes, and originally he represented Christ, but because he was truly only a man, <laughs> he was not fit for the sacrifice. So God provided himself a ram caught in the thicket. The picture of Christ. I believe what God wanted Abraham to see is that God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it only comes because we have a father who so loves us, that he was delighted, the son in perfect agreement. Yes, Father, I understand this is the only way we can save them. His joy was the same as the Father's. Don't you think Isaac was happy? <laughs> I think Isaac was happy. <laughs> Isaac's joy is our joy. Abraham's joy over the lamb, the ram caught in the thicket, is our Father's joy. Isaac's joy is also our, our Jesus' joy because it says, Jesus, for the joy set before
for him endured the cross. What was that joy? You were that joy. I am that joy. Our Father so loved us. He says, I will pay the highest price, my son. And my son in full agreement, in full agreement, will perform for you what you cannot do for yourself. It was all about the promise. God promised that he would send a savior into the world. And Abraham got to be part of it. And Abraham got to stand in God's place for just a moment and understand how much God loved him. He understood how great what God was, but he didn't understand how loving God was, how much he loved Abraham, that he wasn't interested in servants, but in sons and daughters. I hope that when you leave here today, that you go out encouraged that my father loves me. And if he spared not his only son, he will with him also give us everything. He, in fact, the, the, because he says the Lord will provide, the Lord has seen. You see, what we have is so much greater because we can say like they did, the Lord has seen. It is a finished work. The cross has already taken place. I'm not looking forward to a deliverer. I'm not looking forward to provision. It isn't God that God will provide. It is that he already has. Everything we have, everything we need for life and godliness was given to us at the cross. He is the provision for all things that we ever would ever have need of. It's already finished. It's already accomplished because our Father so loves us. And when we understand how loved we are, how provided for we are, we will not doubt his promises, but we will be be easily stepping out in that faith and receiving all that he has for us. Now you may be wondering what happened about with the little boy. Might as well finish the story. He didn't come home. But he wasn't the child of the promise. The child of the promise came two weeks later. Two weeks later was the introduction. Within two weeks, because God said, this is not done. So I'm thinking, are they going to change their mind? Are they going to even back to us? God, what are you doing? He just keep fasting, keep praying, keep believing. That was the story of our miracle baby, Mila. What's interesting is that when you read the life of Abraham, at the end of his life, it says both of his sons buried him. We don't ever lose with our God. We don't ever come up short. Whatever we think we have lost, our Father is more than willing and able to restore to us. Whatever he's promised, it is finished. It is accomplished because of his great love for us. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask my husband to come and pray. And hopefully he won't Repreach it. <laughs> I got to tease him. <laughs> Father, we received this word with great, great grace. Thank you, Father, that you are so faithful to, to feed us so well. What a heart Abraham had. And Father, we, even though we have a similar covenant, a covenant of faith, our covenant is so much greater. 
Father, thank you for the types and shadows. Thank you for the depictions of of you and your son Jesus, even in the Old Testament, where his name is not even mentioned. We see him abounding. We see him fulfilling all the promises that were made. Father, today we thank you that you want to win our hearts and you knew what it took for Abraham. Father, you, you win our hearts with this message of your love and your grace. We stand with the reassuring voice, that small, still voice, and says, I love you and nothing can separate me from your love. Father, we thank you that Isaac was in total agreement with his father. That gives me hope and courage for when I walk through this life and I don't understand what you're up to, I can still trust you. I can still believe in you. I want to thank you, Father, that your hand is on us and nothing can remove that hand from us. Father, in Jesus' name, secure this word in our heart. Secure it, Lord Jesus. And let it heal us in every dimension of our life. Daddy's love. In Jesus' name, amen.